Hey there, special educator. Before we dive into today's episode, I have something exciting to share with you. If you've ever struggled with writing impact statements for your IEPs, and let's be honest here, what special educator hasn't found themselves at some point staring at a blank box and a blinking cursor wondering what in the world to type? My free guide is just what you need to get those brain juices flowing. Introducing Impact Statement Mastery, your step-by-step guide to writing personalized IEPs. This free guide is designed to help you craft impactful, personalized statements with ease. You'll get expert tips and strategies, easy-to-follow formats, and real-life examples that bring theory to life. It's absolutely free and a must-have for every special education teacher and related service provider. To get your copy, just visit www.spedprepacademy.com slash impact statements, or check the link in the episode description. Now let's get started with today's episode. You're listening to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Your host, Jennifer Hofferber, is an award-winning veteran special educator who shares her experience, knowledge, and passion to help other special educators survive and thrive in this profession. Join her and other guests as they share tips and tricks of the trade for the ever-crazy, completely overwhelming, laugh-so-you-don't-cry profession of being a special education teacher. Well, hello, hello, hello. I have got a great interview for you today. Whether you are an educator, a parent, or an administrator, you're going to learn so much from my guest as she leads us through the fascinating world of dyslexia and the science of reading. This is a topic that is finally getting the recognition it deserves, and today's guest is an expert in the field, which makes this episode an absolute must-listen. Today, we have the honor of hosting Melanie Brether, a resource teacher from Montreal, Canada, who is truly a trailblazer in the realm of dyslexia awareness and research-based literacy instruction. Her journey into this crucial area was sparked by a deeply personal experience, the diagnosis of her son with dyslexia when he was just nine years old. But Melanie didn't stop at understanding what dyslexia meant for her family. She took it on as a mission to equip herself and others with the scientific knowledge to effectively intervene and instruct. She has achieved associate-level certification in Orton-Gillingham and holds the title of a CERI Structured Literacy Classroom Teacher. Recognized for her dedication and prowess, she won the Nessie Dyslexia Aware Teacher of the Year in 2023. Beyond her personal and professional credentials, Melanie is a devoted advocate. She founded Decoding Dyslexia Quebec, a grassroots movement aimed at raising dyslexia awareness. She also runs Soar with Dyslexia, a social media platform that serves as a treasure trove of resources for navigating dyslexia and understanding the science of reading. And on top of all of this, Melanie volunteers for Dyslexia Canada and serves as a board member of Teachers for Reading Canada, which provides free Orton-Gillingham training to teachers in Canada. Today, we will dive into the common misconceptions that cloud our understanding of dyslexia, explore evidence-based intervention strategies, and discuss how special education teachers can improve their approaches to teaching reading. All of this with the aim of dispelling myths and enlightening our understanding of dyslexia and the science of reading. So get ready for an episode filled with eye-opening insights, actionable advice, and the inspiration that you need to be a part of the change that's much needed in the world of, of dyslexia education. Well, hello, Melanie. I can't tell you how excited I've been for this conversation. And after several schedule changes, we are finally making it happen. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Well, I'm ready to pick your brain. But before we get started, why don't you go ahead and share with the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? I'm actually from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. I'm an elementary resource teacher. So I've been in special education, I would say the majority of my career, I've been teaching for almost 20 years. And I didn't know what I know now uh, about dyslexia 
And it's all because of my son, Benjamin. He was diagnosed with dyslexia, I would say three years ago. And I kind of went on a mission to learn everything that I could about dyslexia and what students with dyslexia need in terms of intervention and what, how can I help him become a stronger reader? And so that was what I did. It's been like a rabbit hole. I've been very obsessed with spreading awareness too, because I figured here I am a teacher in special education. I didn't know what I know now. And how can I help others who are on kind of this journey, whether they're a teacher themselves or a parent like myself? Well, it's incredibly inspiring to hear how your son's experience with dyslexia not only ignited your passion, but also led you to become a relentless advocate and resource in this field. So it's it's very heartwarming to hear. So the range of initiatives that you've taken on is precisely the kind of dedication and the hands-on approach that makes a real difference in people's lives. And I'm sure that our listeners are as eager as I am to dive into this conversation and benefit from your unique insights and experiences. So let's start with something that unfortunately many educators still grapple with. What are the most common misconceptions that special education teachers have about dyslexia and the science of reading? And how have these misconceptions influenced the way that dyslexia is approached in the classroom? Well, there's, I actually did something called Misconception Mondays on my Dyslexia Quebec Facebook page. And I also do that on my Instagram too, because there are so many misconceptions about, as you mentioned, dyslexia and also the science of reading. Uh, So reading and writing letters backwards, that's a question I get often asked all the time by my colleagues, by my uh, parents, and they often say, is that child dyslexic? And it is a sign, but there are many different signs that you need to look at. And we were born with the ability to look at objects, and no matter the orientation, we can see um, it's still a horse, it's still a chair. And there's this uh, infographic out there, there it's, you know, you have a chair and you turn it around, it's still a chair, it's still a chair, it's still a chair. But when the written system was invented, we had to unlearn this mirror invariance. And so many students will see that this is a letter B and they have difficulty seeing that orientation. So students need many repetitions. They need to be explicitly taught how to form their letters. So it's something that we have to unlearn. And it's very normal for, you know, in kindergarten, grade one, grade two, to still have those reversals because maybe they're not being explicitly taught. But as time goes on and maybe in grade three, they're still doing it. It could be a sign with other factors that we need to look into for dyslexia. So dyslexia is not a vision problem. No. And and that's the thing. Often we see, you know, color overlays or uh, rose colored glasses or, or they have to go for, you know, vision therapy. It might be something else besides dyslexia, but if it's just dyslexia itself, it is not a vision issue. It's neurobiological. It's a language based disability. And then does it go away? Does Can like you be fixed from having dyslexia? Well, no, you're born with it and you have it for your entire life. You can become a proficient reader. You can learn to read. I get that question a lot from parents. Is my child going to learn to read? And dyslexia is on a spectrum as well. So you can have mild, moderate to severe. I find as a teacher, it's really easy to flag those students who are severe. Those are the students that are always at the bottom of your class, probably failing. It's the mild to moderate that I actually worry about more because those are the kids that can fall through the cracks if we don't recognize the signs, even for the mild to moderate. And then when does it show up? When when are we able to see that a student or a child is showing signs of having dyslexia? 
Well, and that's the thing. I didn't know all this when my son, he was my firstborn. So if I probably would have looked back, I would have seen those signs early on. Um, they have difficulty because it's a language-based disability. They might have difficulty with rhyming. They mix up certain words. He will say like, instead of saying bagel, he'll say donut. And so there's some definitely signs that you can see early on. They have difficulty learning their name, the, the letters in their name, the sounds. I know in kindergarten, we started learning his letter names and sounds. It was extremely difficult for him. And I was working with him also at home because I knew he was having difficulty. And even with all that support at school and home, he was still having difficulty. So there's definitely signs that you can see early on, even before they start school. So those are just a few. So if I'm understanding you correctly, the science of reading is kind of a, a research approach. And it's it seems like there's a deep need for ongoing professional development for our teachers to be able to bridge these gaps in their understanding. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, the science of reading, I think, again, there's a lot of misconceptions about that. And I only learned about the science of reading, which is the body of research. This research has been around for 40 years, but unfortunately, many uh, teachers are not being taught that. I wasn't one of those. I was taught a very balanced literacy approach and uh, based on the three queuing and all that. And I only started learning about it after my son was diagnosed. I started learning about how the brain learns to read. And there's all this research out there. Um, And it's just not getting into the pre-service for teachers and also some um, schools. So I I really wonder often if it wasn't for my son, would I be on this journey of learning and advocacy? Because if it wasn't for him, I I don't think I would be. Yeah, it's funny how life puts us on paths that it wants us to be on. So, And I wasn't taught how to address dyslexia either. And I imagine that this resonates with many educators. There just seems to be a gap in our educational training systems. And I feel like ongoing professional development is crucial for our teachers. So if teachers are not being taught at the college prep level, what tools or resources would you recommend for special education teachers to enhance their understanding and skills in this area? Well, I think for me, um, I went like on an obsessive mission to learn as much as I can. So I definitely, obviously it was because my son, but it also transformed my teaching completely. I think um, there's a lot of wonderful free resources and free uh, programs out there that you can learn about the science of reading, the body of research. There's amazing podcasts, for example, and just I think it's also the buy-in. I think it's really difficult to say you have to stop doing this. What you're doing is maybe not okay, or it's not based on the research. But I think if we show the success of this is what we're doing in the classroom to align our practices with the research. I think there's more buy-in. I know at my school that's happening. We're looking at also the data of our students and seeing how many students are not proficient readers. And I'm sure I know in the States it's quite high and here also in Canada. And I think we have to say, well, we have to stop doing the same thing over and over again. I think that's the definition of insanity. So we need to definitely look at our teaching. And I think as professionals, just like doctors, we need to know what's the latest research. And to me, the science of reading is going to change. There might be something that I'm doing now in my classroom this year, but next year I might have to change it because they have a new, you know, new research out there saying that this might be a better um, activity or program or approach to help uh, all students in your classroom. We're not just talking about students with dyslexia. We have struggling students in our classroom who are not just not dyslexic, or they just may be at risk, and we can actually uh, provide them that early intervention. 
I feel like all of this goes back to those misconceptions that we, this really isn't just a teaching method, but it's a comprehensive understanding of how students learn to read. So how can schools and districts create a supportive environment for teachers to apply this newfound understanding effectively? Well, I think I know in the States, a lot of districts are adopting this now. I think there's many states that have dyslexia legislation, even a handbook, and they're looking at this research. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm in it where I see a lot of, you know, tweets about it and social media. So I feel like there's a really uh, positive move towards it, but I could be just kind of in a science or reading silo. But I'm hoping that uh, I think, again, you can't force anything, or at least that's my experience, but just showing that there are there are effective ways to reach all the students in our classroom. You know, no matter what approach I use in my classroom, you know, we have about 40 to 50% of students that can kind of crack this code without too much explicit direct instruction. But what about the other students in your classroom? And I think as teachers, we need to, to look at, you know, how can we reach all our students in our classroom? And having the support of a principal um, my principal is fantastic. My VP, they're really on board and supportive. And I just share the research with them and say, look, let's try something differently. And I, I shared data uh, of how many students in our school are not proficient readers. And it was quite high. And I think they need to understand it coming from them. Obviously, it would be more beneficial. But um, just there's like a little buzz at my school. I can speak firsthand of, you know, we're, we're slowly making changes and it's, we're very balanced. We're still a balanced literacy curriculum. And so fighting against that is a little challenging when your own curriculum is saying, this is what you have to do. But um, I think, you know, as teachers, we can kind of decide for the most part, you know, what, how do we want to teach our students? Yeah, I'm starting to see in my district and in districts across my states. I don't feel like that you're in a silo. I'm I'm seeing it. They're trying to foster a culture where the science of reading and structured literacy isn't just an abstract idea, but it's a lived practice. And we've adopted new curriculum at my district based on the science of reading. And I feel like we're at least trying. So that's that's at least a little comforting. But if I had to share with my teachers as an instructional coach, what intervention strategies have shown the most promise in helping students with dyslexia thrive academically? Well, I think, as you mentioned, like a structured literacy approach works best for students who are struggling or students with dyslexia, uh, but it benefits all students in your classroom, right? Um, if you have an evidence-based program or uh, approach that is based on the research, that's something that's positive. Uh, a balanced literacy based on, you know, the three queuing system is definitely something that it's a definitely a red flag. I know the Reading League has a curriculum evaluation guide, which I found really helpful. And it's, you can look at it and see what are the red flags in whatever program or approach you're using. And then it gives you actual practical ideas of, you know, what you should be doing that is aligned with the research. And that's completely free. I found that really helpful. And you can share that with, you know, I've shared that with my staff. Um, we're not really big on programs, unfortunately, here. Uh, but I, I hope, you know, uh, that's something that's going to move forward. Uh, instead of reinventing the wheel, as a resource teacher, I was big borrowing and stealing all different ideas and kind of making my own based on my Wartengillian training. But there's some amazing programs. Some of them are a little more expensive and some of them are not. But um, not reinventing the wheel. And you, um, if you're new to all this, you have an actual program that as you're going along, you're learning at the same time. I would have loved some type of program that's evidence-based as I left, um, you know, my university program. It would have been amazing. But Yeah, I feel like that should just be a part of your training. 
Yes, a hundred percent. There's and there's so many amazing program uh, like trainings out there that are free or you can you know get paid and uh, you have to pay for it obviously. But there are uh, I know my school also offers professional development um, a certain amount per year, and so I've been very fortunate to be able to take advantage of that every year, taking different types of trainings that uh, are based on uh, the science of reading the body of research. Yeah, and I would imagine that early identification of these students is very important. Yes, early identification. And it's not saying like, you know, we have to, um, you know, some people will say, oh, putting a label on a child. It's really just flagging any students that are having difficulty. I've, I've seen that firsthand where a student is just struggling for whatever reason. We flag them, we give them that um, intervention right away. Uh, they don't need an IEP, they don't need anything. And then maybe, you know, the following year you assess them again. And they're, they're, they're actually doing quite well, but it, at least we can flag every single student. And universal screeners is something that we changed from more of our, like a running record. Uh, and it's a game changer, I have to say. So just, uh, you wanna flag as many students as possible. And if you can give them the effective intervention that they need, not a, you know, a balanced literacy approach where mm-hmm. you're encouraging guessing or look at the picture. Right. I feel like as a special education teacher for 28 years, I had many students on my caseload that if they would have had this before they were identified, they would never have been placed in special education. So I feel like that is, that's very important. The sooner that we can identify them, the sooner we can begin supporting them. So my listeners are primarily special education teachers. So what, if you just had to pick one thing, what's the one thing that you would encourage special education teachers to, well, you probably can't just think of one, but what are things that teachers should stop doing as a part of their typical school day practice? Well, I think if you, uh, you know, that curriculum evaluation guide from the Reading League, that's free. It's fantastic because it kind of gives you those red flags. Uh, Some of them is the biggest one for me. If there's one practice you can stop, it's uh, the three queuing. So that's having students as a reading strategy, look at the picture to figure out the word. Um, I remember taking a a book and I'm like so embarrassed by this, but that was what I was taught. I didn't know better uh, where I took a book and I covered the rest of the word. And it was like, yes, uh, based on the first letter, you know, and look at the picture. And I, I, I cannot believe I actually thought that was a reading strategy. And unfortunately I reinforced that at home with my son. And so he was being taught that at school and at home. And it's just such a terrible habit to break. Uh, so the three queuing system is not backed by any research whatsoever. And we just have to have students decode and sound out words. The, you know, um, that's, that's really one of my top recommendations for anybody. Uh, there's a few other ones like um, memorizing words. That was something that I did with my son too. I had flashcards and sight words. Yeah. And I just, I just kept on saying, you know, what word is this? What? And then like, you know, a day later, he'd forget and it'd be like, you just saw that word. How can you forget? So um, students need many repetitions, but memorizing is there's only a certain amount of words we can actually memorize in our our brain. Uh, But we have to have students, even with those, um, we we call them heart words or red words, uh, irregular words. And we can have students still sound out those words, but there might be more of a tricky part that they do have to memorize or they just haven't learned that pattern yet. And so there's uh, the Reading League has an article like um, about heart words instead of having students memorize words. And I know for firsthand, my son would, no matter thousands of, you know, showing him the word what, for example, is like for whatever reason he couldn't get that. It was like thousands of repetitions. And then one day we just started doing, you know, more of like mapping it, you know, how many sounds instead. 
to what are the parts you already know, the S and the D, and what's the tricky part that you have to remember. And I just felt it was like, it was really beneficial for him to learn that way. And that's based on the research. Yeah. I feel like it's not our fault that we were, like you said, you were being hard on yourself, but that's, that's how we were taught. And we, we don't know better until we start to learn the better way to do things and what the way that kids really learn how to read. I think that's very important. So you mentioned a resource. Do you have another resource that you want to share with the listeners? Uh, well, I don't know if um, on my social media, I love sharing. Uh, I'm technically a resource teacher and I love sharing resources with everybody. I love sharing as many free resources. And um, I do have, I made two bit emoji classrooms, one on the science of reading and one on dyslexia, where I share some of my favorite podcasts, my favorite books, um, even free um, webinars. And so that would be something that I could definitely share. The Reading League is a fantastic resource too. They have not only the curriculum guide, but they have a science of reading um, guide as well that's completely free to download. And all that is kind of in my embedded in my links for those two resources. But um, I love sharing because it's just, you know, we didn't, like you mentioned, we didn't know that. I have a lot of mom guilt and teacher guilt, especially mom guilt, because I feel like if I knew this earlier on, I could have helped my son early on. I, he's definitely severely dyslexic, but I often think if we was given that early intervention early on, the effective intervention, would he be as severe? Mm-hmm. You know, so I always have that. So that's why I'm really such an advocate for this, because I feel like I can help other parents and teachers you know, help those students early on, because I, we're not even talking about that probably today, but the, the, the self-esteem uh, has such an impact on, I, I can speak for my son and many others, there is that, like, you know, anxiety, uh, dyslexia connection for those, for a lot of students, because everything is so difficult day in and day out. And if they don't have a teacher who's, like, understanding and supportive, it can make it really difficult. Oh, yeah, I can see being called out in front of your peers and how, how that would take a big hit on your self esteem. That's, that's hard for that's hard to hear. Well, Melanie, I cannot thank you enough for this enlightening conversation, your personal journey and your passion and your dedication to not only understanding dyslexia, but to empower others, like you said, to do the same is truly inspiring. So I'm sure that the listeners will leave this conversation with knowledge and resources and inspiration to be able to take meaningful steps in their classrooms this school year. So if if we wanted to learn more from you, um, how can we find you out in social media land? I would say Instagram is probably the biggest one. I share a lot of literacy tips, dyslexia tips, and resources. I try and share something always on Friday that's free, but most of the resources I share. So it's called Soar with Dyslexia. So I, I picked that. My old Instagram was called Resource Rocks, but then I thought Soar with Dyslexia with the play on words of the science of reading and dyslexia go kind of hand in hand. So if anybody wants to check that out, I'm on Instagram. And I also have a Facebook uh, page for Decoding Dyslexia Quebec, but Every state has a decoding dyslexia and also, I believe, um, seven provinces. So if you need more information, like in your uh, state, you can also check that out. Great. Well, I will put all of those links in the show notes. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for sticking with me until the end. I can tell that you are just as dedicated to the field of special education as I am. If you liked what you heard today, I'd love it if you'd head over to spedprepacademy.com slash podcast to check out the show notes and sign up to be notified each time a new episode airs. 
go out and have an amazing day and I'll catch you on the next episode.